Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible in a Year podcast. I'm your host, Jay Smith. We are so glad that you're here. just want to remind you to join us along as we read the Gospels in 2022. You can do that by going to read-scripture.com. Once again, my name is Jay Smith. I'm the host, and with me is my good friends, Jimmy Doyle and Travis Bruno. We are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, part B. So uh, we're going to continue on in the story of Jesus by hearing, we'll start with the greatest commandment. And so we'll just start verse 28 of chapter 12. Now, one of the experts in the law came. So this is, if you remember from our last podcast, which hopefully just listen to these back to back, is is it feels as if, and Travis brought this question up, Jesus is dealing with like each one of the rival characters back to back to back. So it's Sadducees, it's the Pharisees, the Herodians, it's the teachers of the law. And so this is the teachers of the law here, verse 28 of chapter 12. Now, one of the experts in the law came and heard them debating. And when he saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, listen, Israel, (laughs) hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Uh, Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, the Shema. And then in verse 31, the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. The expert in the law said to him, that is true. Teacher, you're right to say that he is one and there's no one else beside him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself uh, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then verse 34, this is this is unique. Jesus says, uh, he saw that he had answered thoughtfully. He said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God, then no one dared any longer to question. So this kind of puts a close on the questioning uh, season here. And so, except for the next question in the next chapter, so, uh, or the next passage here. So uh, I don't want to move, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it is the greatest commandments, but this is something that is relatively familiar with uh, a majority of Christians is that Jesus in Matthew 22 actually summarizes, says all of the law and the prophets are summarized in these two, are, are captured in these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your body, uh, which is directly to Deuteronomy 6, as I mentioned, the Shema, which is like the fundamental teaching in, in the Jewish faith. And so, and then I think it's also in Deuteronomy 20, no, Leviticus 22. Anyway, but the, the love your Lord, your, or the love your neighbors yourself is also an old, t- it's, this is not something Jesus adds to it. He just takes these two uh, teachings from the Torah and puts them as the, the greatest commandments. And so uh, when you come across this, like, I, I don't want to skip it too much. So Jimmy, what are some of the insights from the, the, the faith, the Jewish faith that are important for us not to miss here? From a Jewish perspective, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And uh, 365 positive ones and whatever's the remainder of that negative ones. And the idea is, is this is the way to be faithful, like following commands. And so, um, and that's not legalism. It's really about obedience. And so the question is, is which commands are, are the most important? This is a, a huge legal question, a halakhic question for Jesus. How do you, what's your hermeneutic for interpreting all the rest of the law? And other rabbis did this already and afterwards as well. And Jesus kind of answers along the same lines that a lot of the rabbis would. And, and the answer that he gives is pleasing to, you know, in this honor-shame contest, uh, Jesus kind of does it again. He, he answers well. The, the other scribe answers well, and Jesus is impressed with him, which is, this is the most positive representation of the scribes that we get in the Gospel of Mark. 
it's also the end, right? Like they're like, no, nobody's going to challenge him again on this stuff. You know, one of the teachings in the in the Talmud that is recorded about the rabbis is that there are 613 commands and the and uh, interp- other scriptural figures keep reducing those commands and summing them up. Not reducing them like doing away with them, but summing them. And so it comes down to, uh, you know, you get to Isaiah and there's like seven, then it's like, no, no, you know, Micah reduces him to three. Uh, love, justice, do mercy and walk humbly with your our God. And then Isaiah comes back and says, no, you know, uh, keep judgment and do righteousness. That sums up the whole law. And then, and then one rabbi says, no, Amos reduces the entire Torah to one thing. Seek me and live, right? Like, so they, that, that was not outside the bounds. Jesus is not like doing something they wouldn't have understood. And I think he gets it. You know, obviously Jesus gets it right. Love God and love your neighbor. If, if, if you do that, you're going to keep the whole law. And then later on in the New Testament, uh, in First John, I mean, that is the sum of the law. And Jesus says, you know, I give you, in, in the gospel, John, and then in First John, I give you this commandment, love. And if you do that, everything else takes care of itself. Travis, anything to add? I, I just think I'm encouraged by this single scribe out of the lot of all of the, the rest of them. Like this, like you said, Jimmy, this is one where Jesus responds sort of positively and, it, and it's kind of a happy ending in a weird way, um, in a small way. Um, so I just think that's neat and I don't know if there's a whole big importance behind that other than there was at least one that I think was starting to get it because Jesus says like, you're not far from it. You're close. Uh, and we shouldn't forget that there are leaders of the people who are following Jesus. There are members of the priestly family who follow Jesus. We mm-hmm. know that from the other gospels. Uh, Nicodemus and Josephus of, or Joseph of Arimathea are both Pharisees who are leaders among in the Sanhedrin who actually argue for Jesus in the Gospel of John, during Jesus' trial, they stand up for Jesus. So it's not always conflict. Yeah, and I, I misspoke as I kind of read ahead, is that the the only questions that come up here in this next section are actually Jesus questioning himself uh, or bringing up rhetorical questions. And so this one is, uh, I don't know, when I read it the first time, it was and it's an easy one to just kind of like, all right, we'll just glance over that one. And I think because there's so much other content in chapter 12, but let's read it and see if there's anything uh, that we want to bring up specifically. So while Jesus was teaching, this is verse 35. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he said, how is it that the experts of the law say that the Christ is David's son? David himself, by the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So just for my sanity. So right there, if you look at the Lord said to my Lord, right? Which in in English is like, oh, it's the same word twice. Uh, But it's important to recognize that often, I mean, almost exclusively now, often in the Old Testament, if if the Lord is capitalized in your translation, it's the word Yahweh, right? So God, uh, Yahweh said to the Lord, to my Lord. And so that's more of like a kind of an earthly, yeah. Yahweh says, Yahweh says to my master. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David himself calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Uh, calls him, excuse me, Lord, how can he be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. What a strange little passage here. <laughs> Travis, man, help, help us. Help us out, man. Why is Jesus saying know. these things? I don't know if this is just like a a rhetorical thing where like, you know, I'm not familiar with this 
sort of context, I guess, but like they would sort of present these rhetorical questions and not really give answers, but just kind of seem clever by bringing up these things. I don't know, but it it is weird that sort of the response is just that the great throng heard him gladly. Like, okay. <laughs> so. I think they're just impressed with Jesus, man. He's just hanging in there. He's just doing his thing. I, I think you got to get, some things to remember in this culture, fathers don't call sons masters. That doesn't happen. Right. I mean, and so the question is, is wait a second. If, if uh, the Messiah is the son of David, then why does David call him master? And uh, I think Jesus is kind of playing around. There were debates like for us as Christians today, we're, we're just kind of assume, Oh yeah, the son of David is the Messiah, but there were other Messiahs. Messiah means anointed. And so in the writings of the Dead Sea Scrolls, there are actually two messiahs. There's the Messiah of Aaron because all the high priests were anointed. And then there's the Messiah of David because all the kings were anointed. But among the Essenes, the uh, Messiah of Aaron, the high priest Messiah, is actually more powerful than the Messiah of David. And so it, it wasn't a given in first century culture. It was probably the predominant idea that the son of David was the coming Messiah. But there was some arguments and debates about who the real Messiah was going to be, the, the priestly Messiah or the kingly Messiah. And Jesus is kind of saying, hey, this Messiah, this son of David is actually greater than David. I think he's pointing to the idea that the, you know, the son of David is the true Messiah that's coming because he's actually greater than David because David calls him master. However, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus is called the son of David twice by the blind man Bartimaeus. And then as he's entering Jerusalem, he's called the son of David. But Jesus, he may be downplaying that role just a little bit. Hey, you know what? It's not really about who's the king's, who's this ancient king's son. It's this person that God has picked who is actually master. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. So uh, it's just an interesting, it's probably, you know, in its context, it probably had more bearing upon people than what our reading it 2,000 years later does. Yeah. And David's son like that's some of that is more almost even of a symbolic term of the messiah right like i think you kind of alluded to that it's it's not specifically like this is the direct biological you know lineage of david which it is like we see in matthew's gospel and in luke's gospels is if you look at the the or maybe it's just matthew's anyway but you look at the way that they define the genealogy of jesus is they both are connected through both Mary and Joseph, which Joseph's unnecessary because he wasn't biologically. But anyway, uh, both of them are connected to David. But really, it's more of a symbolic, just another way to affirm the Messiah, uh, this substantial way that that Jesus has come into the world. Uh, so. Yeah, the word son can mean, so if I said uh, he's the son of a carpenter, it might mean that his dad was actually a carpenter, or it could mean that he's just a carpenter. Somebody who's a, a son of something is somebody who is in that frame of reference. They had another Messiah called the son of Joseph. And that's not Joseph, Mary's husband, but Joseph in the Old Testament who ruled over Egypt. And the idea was, is there will come a Messiah who is like this, who will be the son of Joseph, who will rule over um, the Gentiles like Joseph did. And uh, that doesn't mean that he's actually the descendant of Joseph. It just meant he's going to do what Joseph, he's going to be the kind of ruler that Joseph was. And so son of David could mean Hey, he's going to be the kind of ruler that David was, who was faithful to God in his heart. But God does make promises to David. Hey, if you have a righteous son, they, he will r- rule over my kingdom forever. And so there is this idea that if a Messiah, if a son of, if a literal son of David, a descendant of David could come who's righteous, he would be the Messiah. 
forever. All right, let's move on to this next section here. Verse 38 of chapter 12. In his teaching, Jesus also said, watch out for the experts in the law. They like walking around in long robes and elaborate greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' property and as a show make long prayers. These men will receive a more severe punishment. I'm just actually going to continue on to 41 because they're directly connected. Then he sat down opposite the offering box and watched the crowd putting coins into it. Many rich people were throwing in large amounts and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins worth less than a penny. He called his disciples and said to them, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more in the offering box than all the others, for they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in what she had to live on, everything she had. So Jesus draws a pretty strong contrast between the experts in the law here in the uh, verse 38 and, and the widow's, what we call the widow's might, the widow's, widow's offering here at the end is, is you have these people that project this image of putting together, right? The self-righteousness, they have the nice stuff, they do the greetings, and then he's he's making the direct connection to those who give out of their wealth versus this upside-down value system of the woman who gave uh, all that she had out of her poverty, which didn't even come close to equaling the gifts of the other ones, but transcended or or went far beyond it in in what it meant as far as her obedience or faithfulness to God. So um, as we look at both of those passages together, Travis, I want to give you some space to make sure that we don't miss anything. So as you look at those two texts, uh, what are things that you feel like are important for us not to skip over? Um, the two texts. I, th- <laughs> I think um, this is a pretty straightforward one for me. Um, the moment in verse 40, I think is sort of like a, I don't know if we say this anymore, but a drop the mic moment for Jesus, like talking about the scribes and sort of just this general warning. But then in my mind, like it just turns so fast to who devour widows houses and for a pretense, make long prayers. Like it's a pretty sharp statement, I think. Um, And so it's just emphasizing this idea of like, are we doing things to look good to, to get the praise of others? And, you know, that's an idea that comes up a lot um, that Jesus talks about, but um you know, in comparison to this widow who obviously like she probably knows that like the amount that she has is nothing compared to the amount that some of these other people are bringing. Um, and so she maybe feels in some way, like, I don't know if she would feel shame necessarily, but she, she recognizes that imbalance on the surface. Um, but she does it anyway. Uh, and Jesus is kind of calling out like the purity of her heart in that and like the true sacrifice and, pointing out where the value actually comes from. Jimmy? I mean, I think that's, I mean, she's, she's the person in this gospel who's doing what Jesus is doing, right? Paul says about giving, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, our model should be Jesus, who though he was rich, made himself impoverished. Well, this woman is actually impoverished. What's fascinating to me is like in verse 44, in the Greek, what it says is, she threw in her whole life. It gets translated everything she had to live on, but literally it's she threw in with these two coins. These two copper coins, uh, by the way, are like the smallest value you can imagine. Um, They are essentially one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. It's the smallest coin available. And she throws in two of those, and that's everything she had. 
So this woman is not just poor. I mean, she's got nothing. She's probably a beggar on the street. And she's throwing into the offering box either, they had various offering boxes that you could put things into. And one of those offering boxes that you can still find in synagogues today is the Sedekah box, the justice box, which is the, the box for the poor. And we don't know which box that she was throwing in, but I can just imagine this woman putting, she's throwing her whole life into a box to take care of other poor people. I kind of like to picture that. And Jesus is watching this, and there's a comparison between this woman who has nothing and giving everything and the scribal leaders who like to go around in big fancy robes and and be seen and are probably super wealthy and greedy. And um, Jesus has already been talking about that kind of thing. And that's not where the honor comes from. This is where the honor comes from. This this woman is actually the model for everything. Great teaching moment for Jesus to, and for us, for his disciples, for any disciple of Jesus. This is a great teaching moment. Well, that is all we have for chapter 12. So we are so glad that you joined us on this journey and uh, are continuing to do so. We're going to be back next week with chapter 13. And uh, we are in the Gospel of Mark for for a few more weeks. And so if you are listening to this and reading along with us, we are just grateful for that. But also just want to give you the opportunity that we're going to start Matthew here uh, in, in April. And so as we start April uh, in Matthew, just invite somebody to join us in this. Matthew is the first gospel as far as the order within the New Testament, so it could always be a good place for somebody to start doing that. So you can join us in this journey at read-scripture.com, and there we engage in Scripture together because that's what we believe God wants us to do. And so thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week with Chapter 13.